Hello and welcome to Coffee Meet with Algamy Consulting. With me, your host, Chris New. A series of podcasts aimed at providing some insight from key players of the wealth and asset management industry on what it means to run and operate an investment management business in the context of COVID-19. The theme of this podcast, podcast number six, is there a global response model in the wealth and asset management industry? Without further ado, I'll introduce from uh, Asia, Scott McLaren, who has headed both Brown Brothers Harriman and RBC Investor Services business in Hong Kong over the past 15 years. Representing Europe, we have Steve Bennett, founder of One Solutions, a fund services group and former CEO at the Carnegie Group. Welcome, Steve. Glad to be here. And finally, getting up very early for us, uh, much appreciated, is Charles de Segundo, founder of Impact uh, Delta, uh, an ESG advisor in the private equity space and a veteran of the industry with um, over 10 years in PIMCO, focusing on product and business development. Good morning, Charles. Good morning. Before we start, if, for those of you who are familiar with this format, I generally have a, a non-investment management related question around coffee. What would your local alternative be to keep the asset management industry going, given its uh, integral need to keeping most of us awake or in long uh, meetings? Without further ado, I'd, I'd like to dive into our topic. Let's start with Asia. Scott, how has that response been in Asia? Asia obviously went through this lockdown earlier. How has the response been? Correct. And, and I think most people would know this is not a first time for Asia to experience a pandemic. Last time, 2002-2003, most countries in Asia has been a pretty rapid response. It's cultural here also because of density populations for people to wear masks, generally because they're not feeling well and don't want to infect other people in the workplace or in the community. And also hand washing is a discipline in most of these countries. The question that I've been asked quite a bit is how did Hong Kong, and it hasn't often been obvious in, in, in the press coverage, had a very, very low COVID-19. And it's due largely to those lessons learned and the disciplines that are embedded here in the culture and the community. Does that include in, in terms of office working and working from home? That's something that's happened in Asia in the way that we've, we've seen it here in Europe that's so people have adapted to that yeah I think it, 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 it's interesting the adoption of work from home is, has happened quite quickly in particular for another reason or for a very different reason in Hong Kong mm. that the industry has been on BCP pretty much since middle of last year and the, the technology largely has been available for people to work remotely or it's had to be implemented quickly behind the scenes the asset servicing industry there's been strides to automate but still if you look at a process like fund accounting it's still stubbornly manual transfer agency and those things are challenges to remote working models steve now that story seems to resonate with what we've seen in europe do you agree with that and do your observations include how the, the easing of the lockdown is is working we spoke to you before and to our surprise you were on the road I, indeed um, business travels something we, we've forgotten about uh, that it even exists we've all moved to Zoom calls or whatever technology you're using. But I have realized as well now, having been on the road for the last two weeks, uh, one trip was to Germany. My trip this week took me to, to a number of um, places in Switzerland. Those are probably the only two countries where I felt people were accepting uh, meetings already. In, in fact, 
uh, the, the places I've travelled to, like Zurich or Geneva, it, it felt like nothing's ever happened. Um, nobody did wear a mask. The, the streets and the shops and the restaurants and the bars, they, they were full. So on one hand, that was obviously nice to see that there's some normality coming back. And uh, for someone like me, who's usually on, on the road a, a lot, uh, having had to be in lockdown for four months it was a difficult uh, thing. So it, it was actually nice to be on the road again and socialise with people, meet people. And I've, I've had the feeling like everybody. And that's obviously, you know, those countries like Switzerland, G Germany, and there's obviously other uh, countries like, like, like the UK who, who's still in lockdown and probably went into lockdown a little bit later than, than everybody else. But well, now, beginning of July, school holidays uh, starting in a number of countries. Uh, I do see most people who do have holiday uh, plans, maybe not so many uh, who would travel by plane, but at least they, they're driving to other countries. Definitely. So the, now that you're on the road, you're, you're physically meeting people. It feels like you're saying, well, we're back to back to normal in places like yeah. Germany and Switzerland. And I wouldn't say we, we're totally back to normal. And I don't think we probably will never, ever really get back to the, the normal that we knew before the crisis. I, I think what we've realized is that a lot can be achieved through video calls. However, there is a point where you still want to meet your counterpart face to face. So somewhere in that process, I think you're going to have to meet your client or your service provider. But maybe you don't need to jump on the plane three times. Maybe once is good enough and everything else can be done via Zoom or video call. Right, Charles, in terms of the America's response, what have you observed over the last three months? Well, I think I'd point to three main things. First, the Americans have essentially done a pretty poor job relative to their peers in the OECD. That's obviously been well documented. It starts with a very limited testing capability, which they've improved, but it took too long. Pretty incoherent leadership and not a very data-driven response as well, and a bunch of other things which I think everybody already will know. The second thing I'd point to is enormous intra-country differences. So to give you a sense, Montana, which I think has had the lowest infection rate, has had maybe a thousand cases in the entire state since the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, a thousand cases is in New York at the, at the kind of at the, at the peak of the problem and you know, that was you know, achieved in, in a few hours. Mm. So that's something in a country which has had such a range of experiences, it's, it's often hard to come up with uh, a more coherent response. And certainly that's something that the industry has to keep in mind. And then the third thing I'd point to is, is the fact that in the U.S., to a greater extent than I think in other places, what we had was a health crisis that turned into an economic crisis that then precipitated a social crisis. Uh, and the social crisis was certainly race, most visible race race-related questions to the outside world. The, the social crisis also encompassed questions around corporate policies relating to paid time off, to childcare, to healthcare. These are all things which in other places are often addressed by governments, but in the US they are offered as corporate benefits packages. And again, those together have formed another form of social crisis. So that's the backdrop the industry is wrestling with. And those are three things which are US specific. And from a sort of industry specific space, is it the same case that the industry operating model has survived that, the BCP models, but otherwise you've been able to operate as normal in terms of servicing clients? Yes, in terms of the kind of day-to-day -day mechanics, 
of how uh, an investment management business or a wealth management business might run. I think there's, there's a lot of consistency between the U.S. experience and what has happened in Europe and Asia. I think the, the work from home uh, move ended up being not completely friction-free, but the technology existed for it to work basically pretty well. The more interesting kind of region-specific differences play out on over slightly longer time frames. In terms of the lessons learned, Scott, what is it you think that's going to be learned from the success of the lockdown in Asia? Do you think that gives Asia an advantage and can it use those lockdown lessons? That's a, a very broad question, but I, I think initially you would uh, conclude that the countries that were able to get back to business and get the, the economy back quickly would all be advantaged. And in that case, you, you see countries like, like Taiwan and Hong Kong and even China coming quickly out of the lockdown, severe lockdowns in some of those countries and some of them not. Hong Kong closed the bars and not even the restaurants for a while, but practiced social distancing from a very early perspective and was able to keep the economy moving and keep things going. And now retail has suffered just about everywhere. I think we'll continue to see that just because tourism is a big part of the economy as well, particularly having China cross-border visitors to places like Hong Kong and Macau. Those industries have suffered. By large, the asset management, wealth management sectors have continued, albeit with slight disruptions. But I think the operating model and what I'd call now probably a permanent BCP have a part of the future future lessons. As wealth managers have tried to break into that wealth management sector, particularly in China, which is at the core of a lot of strategies for the for future. Do you that, think that's still going to be as open in a world which that, is increasingly protectionist? You know? It plays out in Asia, wealth management plays out pretty much in Hong Kong and Singapore as two hubs that attract capital from the region, across the region from India to Japan, effectively, as cross-border wealth management. So the fact that Hong Kong had their act together, Singapore had a bit of a blip there with foreign workers, which got a bit out of hand, but I don't think it disrupted the, the CBD and the business as usual and wealth assets over such a short space of time, which was really only a couple of months. That is really the theater where international wealth management takes place in the, those two centers. They rely a lot on capital from China. And there was a period in Hong Kong when the inflow of capital was surprising. I think that was a reaction to what was going on in China. The good asset test is, is always where the Hong Kong dollar sits in the band and the Hong Kong dollar is at its strongest at the moment. And so all of that is quite, I think, very positive factors that you know, in, in this particular time, just like market levels are kind of unbelievable at the moment, not so good here, on the Hang Seng and in some other markets haven't fully recovered, but certainly from a currency perspective, currency looks very strong. Currency is attractive, still attractive to Chinese and to other uh, net worth individuals in the region. And the other question is maybe property, I think, yeah. as well. Hong Kong property is often talked about. During the SARS period, there were high interest rates and quite high leverage. And those lessons learned have been learned. Currently, we're in a very low interest rate environment with a lot of equity in property. The industry is not anticipating major shifts, although there may be a bit of a pullback there as well. But that's a very important asset class for, for the region. Just one last point I would pick up in terms of the human capital that is needed to run this industry. Do you think that is sufficiently set up for the, for the future growth and, and self-sufficiency? Um, I, I alluded to that a little bit earlier. Is I, I do think you, know, that you just need to Google 
automation in the fund industry in Asia, and you probably have you know, thousands and thousands of pages on the topic has been done to death. But despite that, there still isn't a full automation. And I think a, a robust model for the future, particularly in the asset servicing space where it's more needed behind the scenes is levels of automation, things that haven't been automated or refuse to get automated because they're kind of afterthoughts or they require a lot of manual intervention and thought processes. I think we're heading in the right direction, but technology around that's going to solve you know, net asset values going out despite where the people are based and you know the, having algorithms and AI looking at you know, differences and catching things like that is where progress needs to be made. And depending on the country in Asia, it's sometimes more automated than other countries, but you'll still see a tremendous amount of manual faxes and manual processing, which is quite challenging if you want to put your operations team uh, into a BCP scenario and work remotely or work from home. Steve, I think what's interesting to me in Europe is some of the cohesive response we've seen, particularly talking about sort of European bonds and the focus on a Green New Deal. Is that something that you're seeing with clients? You you say there was a cohesive response from Europe or the the EU to to the virus, because that wasn't necessarily the case at the very beginning. Uh, People have shut borders. And, you know, if you'd ask me about lessons learned uh, from this, it'd probably be never take anything for granted. We've just gotten used over the past three decades of, you know, having open borders in, in the EU, uh, which are especially important if you live in a tiny country uh, like Luxembourg, which is my home. Yeah. We are very much dependent on, on open borders. Uh, a lot of the workforce, especially in the financial services and asset management industry, um, is dependent on those people who work in Germany, France, or Belgium, and, and come and work in Luxembourg. That was initially a, 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 a challenge, even though obviously most of it had very quickly moved uh, to home office. In the meantime, I'd agree with you, Net borders have opened up again. The response is certainly more cohesive now uh, than it was at the very beginning. Do you think locally there's often been criticism of Europe of the pace at which they have had a cohesive response? I, I do think Wait. that the remaining countries probably have come closer together after the, 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 the Brexit nightmare. And certainly I, I think we all understand now the, the, the value of, of, of a coordinated uh, response, be, be Brexit or be, be the virus or, or any other challenges that we may face in the future. Coordinated response brings us back to the US, Charles. So you've talked about fragmentation. Will, will the elections bring some kind of uh, healing to the US and therefore maybe a levelling up of the different sectors? And, and therefore a new focus for the industry? I think so. I think the role right now, given how poorly the Trump administration has handled the virus crisis and then also, by extension, the other crises that I referred to, the, you'd hope that almost anybody else would bring some level of healing to the country. The, the way I think I would frame the implications for the industry would be in three main buckets, I think, I'd about implications for the parent companies, implications for the product landscape, and then potentially implications for the the day-to-day process of running portfolios. I think I'd highlight would be at the parent level, the biggest shift that I anticipate coming out of all this is actually less to do with virus-specific changes. You know, I think people switched into business continuity mode pretty quickly and ran themselves over Zoom for as long as they needed to. The race question, which I alluded to earlier, is not going to go away at all. 
3% of the Silicon Valley workforce is black. I don't know what it is in the investment management industry, but it's got to be something similar, which is to say uh, too low, far too low. You've got 8% of white collar jobs going to black people, the 10% of all college graduates, only four of the Fortune 500 of those 0.8%. And that lack of representation, I think, is going to be something which is quite US specific. But there are lots of things that companies can do to address that that they're not doing right now. They can disclose, they can connect pay to diversity targets can use AI to screen for bias in hiring and promotion discussions and that kind of thing. The second thing I see changing is around the culture of FaceTime. I think guests on this podcast have talked about that. In a country which has got such a big tech sector, which is generally not so big on FaceTime, I think the buy side of the financial services industry overall still appears to have this kind of 1980s Wall Street FaceTime culture. At least that's something I observe. I think that's obviously going to get weakened quite a bit. And the third thing I, I'd point to uh, on the parent side is some of the best practices that, that we may have seen with respect to kind of adaptation coming from the whole world that's being picked up by different players. We may actually see the U.S. leading on that front uh, and starting to push out best practices with respect to working in the investment management industry because the U.S., I think, will take longest to reach some kind of equilibrium because of the extremely fragmented way in which the crisis has been dealt with so far and I think will likely continue. So, you know, in a country which is going to take longer to reach some sort of equilibrium and which is going to open and then close again and open and close again and kind of go back and forth and back and forth, that instability will probably make any future best practices come out of the U.S. first, ironically. So that's sort of what I see happening on the parent side of things. And then real quick on the product and process side of things, I think we will see a bigger ESG product range uh, for sure. I think that's likely consistent with what we're going to see in Europe. And then in terms of process, I think we'll see some adjustments in the way kind of risk management gets done overall. But I think, you know, day-to-day kind of trading and striking of NAV, I think that's not necessarily going to change much from what we've already seen from here. I like your idea about best practice coming out of the chaos. To summarise some of the responses I've seen across the region, which I think is really, we've all seen that the industry, in line with our previous podcast on operating model, it, it stood up pretty well in terms of working remotely, working over Zoom, and that's a consistent theme across the globe. And interestingly, I think from a, a local response, it's got, you know, that if you've actually been in BCP mode coming up for a year, as wow. it, it is the new normal. Europe, and I exclude the UK from that now, in terms of a cohesive response, the borders were shut, but it sounds like there's hope for the future there in terms of opening up those markets, and hopefully that's a route out um, and a kick up the backside for the industry in terms of new opportunities. And as Charles has just alluded, ESG is something that's going to be big in both the product development for the US as well as Europe. But I think my, one of my favourite takeaways is that sort of US response to best practices is going to come out of the US. It's going to be that incubator for dealing with change. So if you remember at the top of the call, I asked you what your alternative drink or I guess alternative to caffeine would be to drive the management industry forward in your local region. So let's go to Steve. I must disappoint you because I'm not drinking coffee. So I, I skipped the coffee in the morning and I prefer to have my glass of wine in the evening. And, and, and there I can reassure you that there's enough bottles in, in my cellar so I, I, I could survive even a longer lockdown. Charles. 
I think I'd say kombucha. It's not a hot beverage, but it's popular around here, and it has a certain fermentation process. It has health, apparently health-promoting benefits, and it's very, very tiny little amount of alcoholic content, but vanishingly small. And I think it has some sort of brewing process in it, but that would be my local alternative. Scott, you must be thinking about alcohol at this time of night. Yeah, I am, but the question was about coffee, and so I'm a morning espresso drinker, and I'm hoping that the supply chain between Indonesia, Sumatran coffee, and Hong Kong would still be intact. However, if it wasn't, my first choice would be wine, although it's the wrong time of day. It's going to have to be Chinese tea. Chinese tea, of course. Yes, the wisdom that comes with that. Scott, Steve, Charles, thank you very much for joining us and having coffee with Algamy Consulting. I hope you enjoyed this conversation around the global and local responses to COVID-19. We look forward to grabbing another cup of coffee with you. If you want to discuss further with us, please get in touch with us through info at algamy-consulting.com or via our LinkedIn Algamy Consulting page. So we'll see you next time.